crack open a cold box of wine or pour something cold on ice because it's the Binge Watchers Podcast. check i know he was like um an a, a small actor himself or yeah. a character actor yeah um, he had like a tv career probably or something right he was like in something like something. that yeah i mean it, it sounds about right again folks what we love to do on binge watchers is our memories of the movies we watch so you know you could double check our facts later or whatever um we're not going to go full encyclopedia or you know three-hour lecture in a film history class about ron howard we're going to tell you why, why we like him the three films we're going to focus on though are the one Dave just watched, Backdraft, uh, Apollo 13, and Willow. I'm a little bit biased. I think of his long career, uh, Ron Howard's run, a lot of people know him as a narrator and producer of Arrested Development, and he actually popped up as himself in, the, in one of the latest seasons. But um, those are my three favorites of his. But he's, I mean, we can go back to the beginning. Like we said, we thought his dad was involved in TV. His brother's a character actor. That's Clint. He's in a lot of horror films. Um, and, and most of, if not all of, Ron Howard's movies. Yeah, and Ron puts his puts his little brother in like all his movies. They won a film contest when they were kids. Like um, that, one of the big studios was sponsoring. It might have been Warner Brothers, if I am remembering the story correctly. But they did like a little, you know, eight millimeter film or something and won a contest. And then, like Ron made had made a couple of movies on TV. He made a movie about a band, like um, some nerdy kids decide to compete with the popular kids in a battle of the bands. It's called Cotton Candy. It's a made-for-TV movie. That's, like, late 70s, maybe. Um, anyway, he made, like, two movies for television, and then, like, uh, I don't know how he gets connected to um, Roger Corman, but then Corman gets him to write and direct Grand Theft Auto. 
but that's about the same time he's probably playing Richie Cunningham. That's his name on... Um, that was, like, yeah, towards the middle or end yeah, of his... Yeah, uh, like, where he's hanging out with the Fonz on that show, Happy Days. So, maybe that was... Maybe it was the popularity of Happy Days that gets him Grand Theft Auto? I don't know. But, um... I, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that remember him playing Opie. You know, the son of the sheriff on, on the Andy Griffith show, right? Yeah. Hanging out in Mayberry. Well, that's definitely you know? where he got his big start. Yeah. Um, holy shit, his father... His father was a working actor. He was, like, a... His father was in, like, over 281 roles, mostly TV. That's kind of gnarly. Yeah, he's definitely, like, a, a, a working actor. You know, just like, wow, can't ask for more than that. Man. No, you can't. But that's all in the back, in the days of the company days, where, like, going to work as an actor was, like, clocking in at a factory, and you were just, right. you're almost guaranteed work. If you had a contract, you'd work with the same writers, directors, the whole company. I mean... But then again, the whole system was factory. Although I, I, although I have been alluding over the last few weeks that like Netflix is reinvigorating the studio system and all the on-demand, the way the studios are going on-demand is kind of like that system. You see actors pop up on the same shit over and over again with the same filmmakers. Right. Um, so moving on to Ron Howard, somewhere pops up in there. Um, we were kind of looking at the list of his films and figuring out the order that they, they came in. I mean, he's got like... I, th- he, I think he goes from Splash with Tom Hanks to Cocoon, or they're they're roughly about the same time period, and then you work in David. Um, you were saying which one? Co- you were talking about another one. Steve Martin. It's famous. It's a good movie. Oh, uh, Parenthood. Parenthood, right? Great film. Um, I love that movie. It's hard to pick three. Like if you look at Ron Howard's run, like if you, even if you just IMDb him, like there's so many movies on there, like Cocoon, Splash, Parenthood, Backdraft. Right. Um, wins an Oscar for Beautiful Mind. Uh, Willow, which is one of my personal favorites. There's the missing. If you're into like a mythological westerns that have some uh, a little a little mystical elements in there. Um, Dude, I'm I'm kind of a sucker for Ransom. That's a, oh yeah, that, oh yeah. He he works with Mel Gibson in Ransom, where it's like a rich guy's son gets kidnapped, and the dad like does everything within his power. It's almost like it's almost like if there was a Bruce Wayne who just snapped. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Because he's got Bruce Wayne money in that film. You know. Um, his um, like lighter version of um, the Truman Show at TV, like there's a lot of these in between ones that I kind of forgot about. Oh yeah, Ed TV is kind of entertaining too. It's like um, basically the concept of like early reality TV, and Matthew McConaughey is getting followed around by a bunch of cameras, right? Right. Yeah. Um, um, and then does um, actually a movie I really liked, uh, uh, Cinderella Man, was actually pretty good. Oh, yeah, I got a soft spot for Cinderella, man. But see, like, if I want to say, like, Ron Howard's specific stories, the only, the, like, the movies that only he can tell and the ones that are directed by, that I couldn't imagine anybody else directing would be the three that I mentioned. And, like, you know, he came up with a thing in Apollo 13 for them to go up. I don't know if it's NASA that got this plane or if it's the Air Force, but they help train astronauts and they send these people up into this plane that allows them to experience weightlessness for, like, I don't know, five minutes at a time or something. So he was going up there with the actors himself, and they were all going through it, and it, it was very difficult, you know, on their minds and bodies, but they, like physically grueling to go in and out of weightlessness like that, and to get in these giant planes and go up there. But did, I don't know if you saw any of the documentary stuff on Apollo thirteen about doing that, but he wanted to capture real weightlessness on film, so they went and did that. You know what I mean? It's kind right. of incredible. And that movie kind of plays like a documentary. It's as close to like just having documentary footage as you probably could get. 
I mean, obviously, he amplifies some of the drama, right? Probably times where the astronauts were safe, he kind of heightened the tensions there. You know what I mean? Because mm. a lot of that's procedural. It would have to be procedural. There's a lot of things that, like, would have to work out in order for them to, to come back safely and not die. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. But then, of course, there's conspiracy theorists out there who say we've never left the planet at all. But, you know... Well, they kind of they kind of address that more in um, the lot the movie that came out last year, First Man, where like oh, really? they give you a real sense of are they going to come back? You know, well, you know, yeah, you know, yeah. But also, filmmaking technology has gotten better since uh, Ron Howard, you know, strapped oh, himself in for Apollo thirteen. Um, true. Oh, and then I have a soft spot for another one of his is uh. Gung Ho, which is about like an auto factory that shuts down somewhere in the Midwest, and then Michael Keaton's character shows up in Japan to convince these guys to invest and like reopen mm. the factory for you know his hometown or whatever. And then uh, there there was a movie that came out about a uh, is it called Hut? There's an older movie where like a a veteran is running a con on like a small town after he gets sent back from the war, and then whatever the town was promised, he can't deliver at the end of the movie, and they find that out. Huh. But like his his false promise was like giving them actual hope, so he didn't want to change anything. Uh, it's in a book I read about all, like alternative screenwriting. I can't. I think it's. I think it, is it called Huck? I don't know. It's an older movie. Paul Newman. Like, Paul. Is it HUD? Is that the one that has Paul Newman? That's a movie with Paul Newman, but I didn't know that was a plot. Yeah, it's something like that. Um, let's go on back. So, same thing with kind of gung ho, like. Uh, he tells his buddies who work in the unions here in the auto union one thing, and then what the what the expectations are for the Japanese business owners are another, right? Because mm-hmm. he thinks that you know his friends will be able to, you know, get to that level, and they're not. Like they're, it kind of alludes to the fact that one workforce works harder, and it may not be who you think, and like that we have that our guys are filled with a ton of bravado, and they need to learn like. I guess to get over themselves, it's like an ego situation in that movie. You know what I mean? Mm. But then even with Michael Keaton's character, like his ego almost ruins the whole, the whole gambit, and you know it's all going to come down crumbling. But um, would I say it works out in the end? I don't know. I guess if I want people to watch movies that we watch, I should not tell them if things work out or not, right? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, go watch Gung Ho. But first, obviously address whether or not you've seen Backdraft and learn an important lesson about fire. Or, or you can go down to Universal Studios and just ride the ride. I guess that's also a choice. Hey, that uh, ride's pretty badass. Yeah, it is. And you know what? Who knows? This fire safety I learned in Backdraft at age nine or whatever, maybe is what gave me the courage to put out the dryer fire a few years ago in my apartment. You know? Oh. The, the local firefighters were kind of amazed. What do you mean? You stood there and put the fire out? Yeah, motherfucker. I stood there and put the fire out. You know what I mean? Oh, <laughs> like, like, I think most people would probably run out of the apartment and let the goddamn thing burn down. You know, the whole building would be gone. That's what it is with most fires. It's a timing thing. If you don't address it in a timely fashion, you're going to lose more than you bargained for. That's true. Uh, yes, I did see Backdraft. And, yeah, I liked it. Uh, it, was very, <laughs> it was very 90s. You have a few minutes to expand on that. You guys will... Well, <laughs> oh, I, no, no. All right, for, for all the listeners who actually weren't kicking it around, you know, watching 90s films or may not have seen Backdraft, or, I mean, first... You, First of all, you got to expand a little bit, but this—I mean—you could define the '90s movies. I have an idea of what they are. 
Um, well, I just meant like uh, in turn. Well, I should say this was like big budget '90s. Like it was very the the camera work was very slick. Like it had. I didn't this. realize I, I didn't realize the '90s had such a a unique uh, a look to its film until you kind of go back and watch a movie you haven't seen before from the '90s. No, that um, is the '90s. I mean, extravagant, big stories, very slick, over the top. Yeah, like to where like your questioning disbelief is like thrown off. Like you watch a movie from the '90s. The law of the physics don't work. The oh. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, well, a... <laughs> you know, when I when I told my wife, uh, I said, "Oh, I gotta find in time, find time to watch Backdraft." She's like, "Well, throw it on." She'd never seen it. Oh, sure. uh, and some, you know, she enjoyed it, but like, we both kind of looked at each other and at some point said, "Okay, we got to realize that this is '90s style filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Take some realize realiz- uh, realism out the window, because." Because uh, we because we've experienced so many fires here in Lake County or where I live uh, in the last few years, um, you know we, we're a little used <laughs> more used to uh, firemen and uh, watching that movie. I'm like, there's there's no way they would last in those buildings for as long as they are without masks. Like they have masks as a decoration, but they hardly wear them because you know you, you're paying Kurt Russell, you're putting that face up on the screen. Mm-hmm. But um, but if you throw that out the window, it's a great movie. Uh, just don't expect the most realistic portrayal of firefighters. Yeah, but this, I mean, this movie did put the actors through a bit of training, and like um, they tried to depict some of the things as realistic as possible. And the concept of a back backdraft is a technical. Oh, that shit's real. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not questioning that part. I'm just saying, like, you know, if if you watch and you realize, oh, they've been in this burning building for like more than five minutes without a mask on, they would have passed out long ago. Oh, you mean like the dramatic speech and arguments that take place in the Yeah, that fire? kind of yeah. shit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like I said, you got to realize it's a bit Hollywood. You got to throw a little bit of logic out the window. Yeah, that's true. Like I, like I said, the, the 90s kind of throws out your disbelief right at the, right out the window. Like, um, I don't know what it was. Every movie was beefed up in the 90s. Like, people were, it, literally. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, nothing, right. none of the movies were small. They were big, sweeping movies. And But what's funny is... Like they had, they had maybe a third of the budgets that these these movies have now. Like literally everything that that is a movie now is like part one of seven or part one of three or like you know right. what I mean. Like well, you know what's so funny is I, I looked up what the budget of Backdraft was and like it's not it was right? pro- it was a lot for then, but it was right. it'd be nothing for now. It'd be a budget movie now. Yeah, it was like it cost like forty million to make in nineteen ninety one dollars. Yeah, so that was I don't know I I don't know what that'd be equivalent of today. Maybe like. 130 million i don't know mm. uh and then uh what george uh, lucas and his buddies come up with a story for a thing called willow willow and this is before backdraft this is before backdraft gets backdrafty <laughs> like uh <laughs> um and I, I don't know what the zeitgeist of that thing is maybe they just like ron howard wanted to work in the george lucas world or i, I don't know well, I think you got to remember at the time in uh, in Ron Howard's career, he was on the up and up. Oh yeah. Like you know, you know, um, that so that was kind of like his stepping stone, or like uh, George Lucas must have seen something in him to hire him on. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Because you um, know, like I mean, he did Splash, which was like a big hit, but then he did Gung Ho, which was probably a step down in terms of box office and all that. Yeah, it is, yeah. and it, I think it was a stinker when it came out, but. I, I mean, think I, it, but I think it's become a cult hit since then. Yeah, it has a small following. I'm one of them. I looked up buying the DVD, and like the DVD's out of print, so I gotta track that down somewhere. 
Um, or it's expensive. Like it's more expensive than it should be. You know, you know what I mean? Well, it's supply like, and demand, dude. When something goes out yeah. of print, then it's the market that dictates what it goes for. Yeah, absolutely. So if you're trying to complete your your early Michael Keaton collection, right. it's a necessary find. You got to get it. It's like I saw some copies going for thirty bucks. Um, you know, it's an, it, it's like an eight dollar DVD. I mean, come on, like it, it, it you know, <laughs> like. I feel like I've seen that at like uh, thrift stores and stuff around. If I, that's if I catch I mean. a copy, I'll let you know. Yeah, let me know, cause like that's what I mean. You're gonna find it. You're gonna walk into a. I don't know, like a random store, and it's going to be sitting there or something, you know? Like, I found a Blu-ray copy of the director's cut of RoboCop in a dollar store yesterday. I know, I've, I've seen those too, and I've, I've bought mine long ago, so I'm like, well, shit. Yeah, me too, I bought the trilogy, like, it was like one of the first trilogies that's come out with all the special features. Um, that was pretty brutal, brutal, oh, no, what, is, is mine Blu-ray? I don't even know anymore, it's in my closet. Um... <laughs> But anyway, Willow. So Willow is an epic fantasy movie and talking about people spending money on movies and like putting together these epic 1990s stories. Um, this one's in the 80s. Uh, it's got Val Kilmore. He's a sword fighter. But it has Warwick Davis. And like this is pretty much Warwick Davis's biggest role. He, they still talk about it today. There's all these rumors floating around about a Willow 2. All right, if you're into fantasy, then willow is right up there with something that you got to find and it's technically boom b movie rating because it's not like on the scale of like lord of the rings or anything but i mean we're talking about practical effects they're building monsters with puppetry and animation they're building um villages like like the biggest thing if you watch the special edition was like it like uh ron howard goes on and on about how they constructed the village for you know the like willow and the group of I well, I forget wasn't it like called. one of the, the first called movies that you... i think they're called no ones Right. Well, wasn't it also one of the first movies that used, like, uh, morphing technology where, like, because um, didn't, like, one of the characters get, like, transformed into a goose or something? Oh, and they, that, all, like, they, they all, uh, they all, they all, they all get, um, they all get transformed. Um, uh, yeah, like, all the good guys get, the sorceress turns them all into pigs. And, yeah, there is another one that gets turned into a goat. I think the scene you're talking about was the good sorcerer gets turned into a bunch of different things because Willow's practicing his magic and he doesn't know what he's doing and he turns her into a bunch of things. Um, what is her name? Bath Morta is the name of the villain who's like the evil sorceress. The good sorceress is... You need to go down and find... Is it Tiris Lee or Tiris Lynn? Damn it. And the name of the freaking... What's the name of the princess? Oh, man. The names are escaping me right now. But then there's these things called brownies, which are like little gnome dudes. And one of them's played by a comedian. Is it a freaking what's his name who does the? Oh, I think is it Kevin Pollock. I think so. Yeah, I think Kevin Pollock is one of the brownies. And then there's another comedian who's the other brownie, and I can't think of his name. I just saw him playing like the like Johnny Carson's Booker for the the Tonight Show on a um, a Showtime show about comedians in the late seventies. But that show's canceled now, but he's in that show. Uh, but this is, like, one of his earliest roles. He's another comedian. You'd recognize everybody would know his face. Um, and the little person actor from Trolls is actually, I think, in this movie is one of the heroes. Like, there's all these warriors in the Nelwyn village that fight off, like, a bunch of, like, giant monster dogs that the evil sorceress sends after Willow and everybody. And then... They gotta take this princess because she's destined... I mean, that's what it is. This whole thing is spurred off of a prophecy... Like, literally just said, this little girl is going to kill you when she's older, so you better take her out. And then that literally was what starts the story. And then there's a Skeletor-like dude 
this guy in a skull mask who fights the other swordsman. Like I said, Val Kilmer is the good guy, and he has an opponent, an equal, and like an evil guy. And they go on essentially what's a road trip in medieval times, <laughs> right? They go questing, and uh, they shack up with. There's a love spell thrown on the evil sorceress's daughter, who's you know would be the bad princess, but then she starts working with the good guys, and there's a big duel at the end, and it's one of those stories that everything ties together, like, Willow's disappearing pig trick is an important play later on, um, and his sleight of hand tricks that he's been using around the farm to entertain his kids, and then also at the village festivals is a big deal, um, one takeaway from the movie is that you're supposed to have confidence in yourself, so... When the village elder, who is supposed to know sorcery, but he's really just kind of like a philosopher, right? He asks Willow, you know, the power to control the universe is in which finger? And you're supposed to say your own, because you're supposed to acknowledge that you you have, like, self-worth, right? Uh. But he doesn't know that, so he, he doesn't get a chance to be the wizard's apprentice in his local village or whatever, and then has to take his little magic acorns and, you know, deliver the the human princess back to her castle. And, and of course, hijinks uh, ensues naturally, right? And of course, yeah. they do. So, anyway, but it's a pinnacle in fantasy, so if you're out there watching the original Conan, or, like, Conan the Barbarian, if you're out there watching, um, you know, He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, and eventually Lord of the Rings and all that stuff, you're definitely going to want to track down Willow, because it kind of sets the stage for some of these other movies that come later. Um, it was definitely the most epic of those style movies yeah. until... Lord of the Rings. Now, do you do you have a favorite of like Ron Howard's run or like the stuff he's doing now, or or do you have, is it one of the classics that gets you going? Or um, great question. Um, trying to, I you know I believe it or not, I I might be leaning on Parenthood of all oh, things, yeah. and I'm like I I think that that's probably the movie of his I've seen the most. Um, it was like a cable staple for a long time. Um. And it's just, it's got an, a great ensemble cast with, you know, um, Steve Martin, Martin or uh, Steve Martin, um, Rick Moranis, Diane Weist, um, I forget, it's Keanu, young Keanu Reeves, um, Joaquin Phoenix. It's, I don't know, it's, uh, it's you know, it spawned a TV show, which I've never seen, but I like the movie. <laughs> yeah, it has a great supporting cast. It's definitely an ensemble movie. Like, each one, that's almost like a series of vignettes. It's like the same family, but each family member is dealing with something slightly different, and it's kind of like yeah. has like three fathers that you learn. Like Keanu Reeves' character actually is going to become a father. Steve Martin's already a father, and he's worried about the emotional stability of his son, who seems to be having a lot of problems at school. Um, another son, another father is like the grandfather, and you know Steve Martin's his kid. And then he has a brother who's like the prodigal son. He shows up, has his own kid, you know. Um, right. The old guy basically wants to shake him and say, like, you know, you can't be selfish anymore. You have your own kid. It's a grandkid. You know, like, what are you going to do? And then, of course, you know, there's the fear of, like, okay, the grandkid's going to be stuck with the grandparents because this other, the other son is, like... Can't get his shit together. Yeah, just can't be trusted, can't get his shit together, has a different lifestyle. It's not conducive to, like, fatherhood. Right. I, I mean, I don't know where the, where the parenthood story comes from. I always just assumed it was a Steve Martin story, but if that's true... I don't know. I'd, I'd have to look it up. I don't remember, honestly, folks. I, don't I show here that there's a bunch of screenwriters, but I don't think Steve Martin was part of the Okay. The well, writing. I mean, it's, it, it seems to me that whoever wrote it would have been thinking about his personal fears of fatherhood at the time. Right. You know? Because it seems to be the, co the concurrent thing through the movie runs like that. And again, not to knock the mothers in the movie either. They're just as powerful. It's got Mary Steinbergen, right? Doesn't she? Yeah. Yeah. 
So it's, it's Mary Steinberg in one of her best roles as one of the as the main wife, if you consider Steve Martin the main character. But like I said, it's an ensemble. It's an ensemble. So yeah, yeah so you could consider the grandfather the main character. You could consider the other brother the main character. I mean, the, or or. Uh. Um, yeah, or the, the one sister. There's like two brothers and a sister, right? And Diane Weiss is the sister, and yeah. I don't remember if her husband died or just left her. And 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 no, the no, son, no. She's um, she's with Steve Martin, but he, or oh no, you know what? Never mind. I'm mixing up storylines. I thought she yeah. was the one with uh, Rick Moranis, but I think that was with somebody else. Oh no, that's right. Then there's the other one. There's there there. I forgot about those parents. Because like there's a there's a storyline where Mick, Rick Moranis's wife wants to have another child, but he yeah. wants to wait five years, and like she's poking holes in condoms and diaphragms. Uh, Gnarly. And there's like but, a, there's like a meltdown at a Chuck E. Cheese. That's what you know starts. Yeah, because uh, Steve Martin's kid has like very emotional problems. Like probably probably would be diagnosed autistic today. I don't know. Um, yeah, something. Like on the spectrum or Asperger or something. Even though Asperger yeah. like doesn't exist anymore because of insurance reasons, they've lofted into, I think, autism. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, it's part of another disorder now. <laughs> um, yeah, man. Uh, Parenthood's really a really great film, actually. Uh, it's 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 the le- it's the least dynamic or like spectacular of his movies, but it's the well, one look, I've seen like, most. Hell, I, I don't know. You know. Somebody deserves an Oscar for Cocoon. I don't know if it's Ron Howard, but uh, that's there's a great cast on that too. Um, but uh, Beautiful Mind, I mean, take it or leave it, man. Like I, I, I actually really liked it when it came out, but I mean, you're talking I haven't seen it for like 17 years. Yeah, or what? you know, it's about a uh, math professor who's like a misanthrope and also hallucinates his roommate. But then still, but still, still solves yeah, spoiler alert. But then still solves equations and gets his theorems printed. I don't know, like you know what I mean, like. uh, But anyway, Ron Howard's a great filmmaker. He's kind of a classic legacy. Also, his scope for storytelling is pretty big. Actually, they had him come. They he was technically attached to the solo movie because they fired the other directors and they brought him in for like uh, I don't know a third of the movie or something. Something like that. Yeah. Um, which I don't know. I don't know the politics of that. I'm not really going to get into it. Um, whatever. That's what happened on that movie. But that's not the movies that I like Ron Howard for. I've mentioned mine. Um, and I think and I, I think your pick is probably Parenthood. Then right? We pretty much yeah. come around to that. All right. So look, folks. I think if you want to look at a semi-historical version of outer space drama that happened to real people, go take a look at Apollo 13. If you want to talk about fatherhood and motherhood from the perspective of a group of siblings that have their own children but that's also kind of funny you look at parenthood you can track down that movie gung-ho which is actually cheaper to just stream than it is to actually buy physically which is kind of ridiculous but whatever um it also has is it ken wanton no not ken wantanobi there's an actor who's been a bunch of 80s movies he's an asian actor and he actually plays one of the japanese executives in uh um in this in Gung Ho, he's a he's a good actor. Um, he's around in the eighties a lot. Um, anyway, so oh yeah, and Willow, of course Willow. And Willow, full um, fantasy. It's Warwick Davis. It's his biggest movie. You, they made. I mean, they made. Look, Rick Gervais made a, a funny show with um, Warwick Davis, and like the running jokes was, "Are they making a Willow too?" They actually had Val Kilmer show up in an episode where he convinced. Warwick Davis that they were going to make Willow 2 and Warwick was for, like trying to raise money for it and it's kind of funny. And huh. the name of that show, I think 
Was it Life's Short? Yeah, Life is Short. That's exactly right. And Stephen Merchant produced it and I think did some of the writing on it. So if you like that old classic BBC office humor or you're fans of Ricky Gervais, I'm more of a fan of Steve, uh, Stephen Merchant, if I'm being honest with you, of those two. But um, that show is actually, I rewatched it recently. It's kind of funny. Um, I remember I, when it came out. I didn't miss it. But. Well, yeah, and if you want Warwick Davis, you got to get that or you got to go watch, uh, you know, the movies he's in, which is he's in like five Leprechaun movies. There's like seven of them now, and I, I promised David at the beginning of this I wasn't going to review the new one that Sci-Fi Channel just made, so I'll let it go for now. I express my opinions pretty heavily on Instagram and Facebook and our Facebook group. It's not nice. It's rather scathing. But Warwick has nothing to do with it because they didn't hire him back, they didn't bring him back, and, you know, I'm sure if he read that script he'd go like a thousand miles in, in the other direction anyway. But, um, yeah, we'll at some point talk about this new Leprechaun. But not tonight. Because this episode is done, we rocked some shit with Ron Howard, go watch any of his movies, you'll be pleasantly surprised, or happy, or just revisit some of your old favorites, because I have no idea who's listening right now, and who gives a shit about anything that we just said, but if you like Ron Howard, or you want to learn about Willow, um, there's trolls in that movie, 